That movie was kind of a holiday staple at our house for years. It would uh, come on and they would play it for 24 hours on TBS, I think. And we would turn it on and it didn't matter if you, sh if you turn it on halfway through, you just kept watching. And then you picked up from there and went on to the next showing and just watched it over and over again. We, we know the story by heart. We know the scenes by heart. We know the lines by heart. We, we know the, the prestigious award. And it says fragile. It's probably Italian or fragile. We know it. And traditions become like that. It doesn't matter that we've heard the story over and over again. It, it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a, a part of our story. It takes on a life of its own. When I was younger, I loved that scene uh, because Ralphie got the one thing that he wanted. That one thing that was on his Christmas list. He got his Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and a thing that tells time. As I've gotten older, as I've become a father, I love it not so much because of Ralphie, but because of the look on his father, on Darren McGavin's face, when his son opens the present that he's always wanted. The, the one thing that was on his Christmas list. His father, who who had seemed so distant through the entire movie. His father, who even seemed a little angry at times. His father, who seemed maybe unhearing, unlistening, possibly even uncaring. In the end, he not only knew what was on his son's Christmas list, but he knew what was on his son's heart. And he says to his wife, I had one when I was eight. He knew his son as well as he knew himself. Your heavenly Father knows you like your Heavenly Father knows you like that. And I want you to realize that as we go about the business of unpacking Christmas. As we consider the gifts that we're giving each other. Gifts, uh, that perfect gift for that one person on our list. What this one person needs or, or what will really bless them. God knows your heart. He knows who you are. He knows what you need even better than you know yourself. There's a Scripture that we go back to very often, it's one that we call back to over and over again. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it speaks of us being God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And those are our gifts from God, and those are the gifts that we give one another as we serve, as we do those good works the ways that we serve Him, the gifts that we give back. God knows us by heart, and He chose certain things for you to do and certain things for me to do before we were even created, before we were even a thought. He knows us by heart. And we see that as we unpack this Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. We see a young girl in Nazareth. Her name is Mary. And when we meet Mary, she is very aware of what she is not. She's scared. She is confused. But she's also chosen in the same way that you have been chosen, in the same way that I have been chosen. God has a plan to use her. God has a plan to use each one of us. And in her encounter, I think we see something of our own calling. The story picks up for us today. They're still in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If you're using the Bibles in the pew, it's, page, it's still on page 855. Beginning in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in, the, in Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You hear the question there in verse 34? How will this be? It's not the same kind of question that we looked at last week when we saw Zechariah's question. Zechariah's question, which, which essentially amounted to, do you expect me to believe this? Zechariah asks. Instead, Mary wants to understand how God will accomplish this to her. I'm a virgin, she asked. How will God accomplish this? How will I serve? And in Gabriel's response, he shows us that God wants us to have confidence. God wants us to be confident of our calling, of the good works that He's prepared for us to do. More than anything, in Gabriel's response to Mary, we see that God wants you to know that He is with you. I think that's one of the most common prayers that we pray. God, be with them. We pray that over and over again. We pray, God, be with all the missionaries. When someone goes into the hospital, when someone goes into surgery, we say, God, be with them. Uh, when, when somebody is going through a rough time, we say, God, take care of them. Be with them. Be with this person. Be with that person. Be with those starving pygmies down there in New Guinea. You know, we, we do it all. We, over and over again, we pray for God to be with people. And, and it's always been something that I've thought, why do we pray that? You know, intellectually and, and spiritually, I realize that God is omnipresent. That's a big word that simply means God is everywhere, right? God is everywhere. God is always with us. So why on earth do we pray God be with them? God's already promised. But by His very nature, we know that God is with us. And yet, here, in the heart of the Christmas story, with one scared little girl who encounters an angel, there is the promise and there are those words there in verse 28, the Lord is with you. And as I looked at it this week, kind of for the first time, I began to realize that in those moments of panic, those moments of confusion, those moments when we're unsure of what's happening, God doesn't want you to forget. He is with you. And He has no problem reminding His people I am with you. It, all through the Bible, you, you can see it over and over again. Way back in Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, God speaks to Isaac. He renews His covenant with Isaac. And He says, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not. That's important too. We'll get back to that in a minute. 
Fear not, for I am with you. Judges chapter 6, we're introduced to Gideon. And, and when we meet Gideon, the angel calls him a mighty warrior, but when we meet Gideon, he's hiding. He's in a hole hiding from his enemies because he's afraid if they see him, they're going to cut his head off. And yet the angel encounters Gideon, and the angel says to him, Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Twice in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 43, God reminds His people Israel who are about to be ransacked by the Babylonians, who are about to be hauled into captivity. God reminds His people, I am with you. Six times in Jeremiah. Poor Jeremiah. Scared, sad little Jeremiah. God tells Jeremiah six times, I am with you. Twice in Haggai, God says, I am with you. And what's the very last thing Jesus said to His disciples before returning to heaven? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think we see that assurance over and over again in the Bible because God knows us so well. He knows that in those moments when we are seeking to serve Him, in those moments when we want to do good, very often we feel very challenged, we feel very alone, we feel very small, very weak, and very uncertain of ourselves. And God wants us to know that we are never alone. There's another aspect of that that I think we all need to catch. There's another part of that promise we all need to understand. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul is writing to his friends in this little church in Colossae. Tiny little church in the middle of nowhere. And Paul writes to his friends and he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You know, that's the only time in the Bible that phrase is used by someone other than God or an angel speaking on behalf of God. Paul says to the Colossians, I am with you. It's said by a Christian to encourage other Christians. It's said as a reminder that you are not alone. None of us serve alone. None of us should suffer alone. None of us should ever feel alone. We need to know that we're together. We need to know that we are there for each other because when we are there for each other, it's a reminder that the Lord is with you. And that goes a long way towards reassuring each one of us of God's calling, of those, of those gifts, of those good works that we are doing for Him. It also goes a long way for us to understand the next thing that Gabriel tells Mary, and, and not just understand it for Mary, but to understand it for us. The next thing Gabriel tells Mary is, do not be afraid. Verse 30, we read those words. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's the second time that command occur, has occurred in the Christmas story. And it's not the last time either. We went back a few, a few pages or a few verses and Zechariah was told by Gabriel there in the temple, Zechariah is told, do not be afraid. You go over to Matthew chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but in verse 20, 
The angel says to Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And then later in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels speaking to the shepherds there on the hillside say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. And in the same way, this command, do not be afraid. And it is a command. This command is for all people. Do not be afraid. In my Sunday school t- class today, we were talking about how things get kind of transmitted and things, things get passed around and we're never really sure if they're true or not. And there's this thing that goes around the internet. There's this post that goes around the internet every now and then. Maybe you've seen it on Facebook. Maybe you've gotten it in an email. But there's this post that says that the command, do not be afraid, is written in the Bible 365 times. That's a daily reminder from God to live every day fearlessly. Isn't that great? Did anyone do the research on that? Or did we just figure it's on the internet, it's probably true? (laughs) No, it's not 365 times. The fact is, the command occurs. It is the most common command in the Bible. It occurs just a little over 80 times in the Bible. A little over 80 times. And then on top of that, There are other words, other word groupings that essentially mean the same thing as do not be afraid, and those occur about 30 more times. So, I think the point is, if you're so thick that you don't get it from God saying it over 100 times, then you're not going to get it with 365 I think, I think it's fine that God tells us a little over 100 times, about 110 times, to, to not be afraid. I think that's enough. I think I get the point. The angel says, do not be afraid. And, and paired with that news is those words, you have found favor with God. Isn't that a great phrase? You have found favor with God. I would encourage you to try that phrase out yourself. When your kids ask for something, when your kids ask for something, just simply say, you have found favor with me. They're going to love that. You know, even better yet, try it, try it with your wife. When your wife asks for something, just say, you have found favor with me. That's, that's going to make her feel special, isn't it? It's going to make you feel special. You're going to feel something, I guess. You know, it's going to do something for you. You have found favor with me. It's, it's an interesting phrase. It sounds very holy and, and it sounds very special. But you know what? It's a phrase that God has spoken to you and to me, to every one of us. It sounds a little strange, but it's a word that you're familiar with. That word favor, it's the word grace. You have found grace with me. That Scripture we looked at earlier, Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created for good works in Christ. Two verses before that, in Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. This not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It is favor from God. It's the same word. You have received favor from God. Same God, same gift, same grace. And the same command. Do not be afraid. Whether it's there 365 times or whether it's there 100 times, it is for you. Do not be afraid. Paul writes to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes to Timothy and says, for this reason, I remind you, fan to flames, the gift of God, that service from God, that good work from God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
You are not alone. God is with you. Do not be afraid. He has promised you power, love, and self-control. Over and over again, we see those called to trust God with His plan for them, with His purpose for them, with the gifts that He has given them. And just like Mary, we need to understand nothing is impossible with God. This was a very important assurance for Mary. God had tasked Mary to do the impossible. Virgin birth, 100% impossible. Should not happen, and yet here it is in Scripture. You know, we sang the song, What Child Is This? I love that song. And every time we sing that song, I get, I get chills when we sing that line, the virgin sings her lullaby. The virgin sings her lullaby because it occurs to me virgins shouldn't sing lullabies, not their own lullabies. They aren't supposed to sing lullabies. Mothers sing lullabies, and yet every year we're reminded that one did. And then verse 37 comes along, and verse 37 simply says, nothing is impossible with God. You know, years ago, 35 years ago exactly, I was in junior high. That's a long time ago. 35 years ago, I was in junior high, and you guys sent me away to a week at camp. My mother probably would still thank you for giving her a week off. You know, to this day, 35 years, she'd probably say, thank you for giving me one week of peace and quiet around the house, one week without him. She, would, she just would love that. I don't remember much about camp from 35 years ago, but there's one thing I remember. It's, it was one word that they taught us. They taught us at camp. They taught us one word. And there were t-shirts with this word on it. There were buttons. I bought a button, and I had that button for years. I don't know where the button has gone. It's gone. But I remember the word. The word was this word up here. It was the word pathweti. Pathweti. Today we would say hashtag pathweti if we were using hashtags in church. Pathweti. 35 years and I still remember it. You know what it stands for? Praise to Him who specializes in the... Come on, you can do better. Praise to Him who specializes in the... Impossible. I almost think you believe that. <laughs> Some of you, maybe. Praise to Him who specializes in the impossible. 35 years later, I can remember that word. Pathweti. Can we remember? Verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. You notice he said nothing, right? Nothing is impossible with God. He's not just talking about virgin birth here. He's talking about nothing. Nothing is bigger than virgin birth. Those problems that you're struggling with, those things that have been holding you down, that you can't seem to get over, nothing is impossible with God. Every situation that you've been in in life where you've thrown your hands up and said, I give up, I can't do it, nothing is impossible with God. Every time you said, I can't, I can't forgive, I can't get over this, I can't get better, God can because nothing is impossible with God. Pathweti. Whether you can remember Pathweti or not, just remember verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. And at the very end of the story, we see Mary's response 
And I hope beyond just Mary's response, I hope we see something of our own response to God. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is no small claim of commitment from this young girl. She will endure the scorn of her community when they discover that she's pregnant. She will confront anger and suspicion even from those closest to her, even from her fiancé. She will endure the pain of childbirth. She will endure morning sickness. She will endure the, the rough roads of traveling. She will endure a lifetime of worry and wonder, even to the point of wondering, did my son go insane? Is he okay? And she'll stand there a little ways away from the cross and watch her son, her gift from God. She'll watch him die. And yet here she is, maybe 14 years old. And what does she say? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the response God is looking for from each one of us. That's what He wants from you. That's what He wants from me. It's the response of servanthood. It's the response that says, I belong to you. I, I am yours. Uh, I will be obedient to your will. I will be obedient to your plan. I will be obedient to your purpose for my life. It is the response of servanthood. And it is the response of submission. Let it be to me according to your word. Let my life be the fulfillment of what you have called me to do. That takes us back to that verse again in Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Never forget that God has an amazing call on your life. A call to serve Him, a call to give your life back to Him, now that can frighten us. That can be a little scary. God calls us to do some things that sometimes are a little uncomfortable. Sometimes they seem awful big. Uh, sometimes we just don't feel like we're up to the challenge and we wonder, should I really do this? Should I be a part of that? How can I serve Him? How can I, what can I do for Him? And he wants you to know He is with you. So do not be afraid because nothing is impossible.